Hello, church. Welcome to uh, Valdosta Baptist Church as we're um, worshiping in the Word of God. Uh, and welcome those of you that are, are guests that, that are also um, a part of this worship session. Um, it's, it's a joy to be able to do this and um, to be able to um, share God's Word and teach God's Word and um, to provide you with uh, the food of God's Word. For man doesn't live by bread alone, as Jesus said, but by from every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. And contained in the Scriptures, we have the breath of God that has been given to us for our strength, to equip us for the service, for the good works that He's going to set his people apart for, for um, so that we can, sh- as, as Paul says to the Philippians, so that we can shine in, like stars in this dark and crooked and perverse uh, generation that, that we live in. Um, but let's join our hearts together and let's pray before we unpack um, God's Word to, today. So let's pray. Lord, God, we um, just come before You and God, we thank You, Lord, for Your Word. We thank You, Father, that we are not left to just guesswork about who You are and about what You expect of us. God, I pray that, Lord, You will take me, who is unworthy, who is, who is not able within Himself to, to preach Your Word, But God, because of Your grace and because of Your Gospel and because of Your Spirit, Lord, uh, something supernatural can take place. And so, Father, I I thank You for that. And God, I pray that You will, um, Lord, speak for me for Your glory and for the good of Your people. Father, give us those those ears to hear. God, give us those eyes to see. Uh, Throw the light on, Father, that we can see that we can see and rightly divide Your Word, Father, and hear it rightly, Lord. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen and amen. Well, I would invite you to take your copy of the Word of God and and turn again today to uh, the tiny little book of Jude. Uh, We're going to pick up right where we left off. Uh, Last time we were together, we looked at um, that section of verses that... Um, was dealing with the judgment that would come upon false teachers, that would come upon those who swerve from the truth. And we saw that, and we considered that, and uh, we, we looked at that for God's glory and our good. Now, today we're going to pick up right up in verse number 8, and um, let's just read together down through verse number 11. Um, Yet in like manner, these people, in other words, just like these guys that were judged for swerving from the truth in the verses above it that we looked at last week, these people, these people referring to those people that he said have crept in, they've come into the church, they've, 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 they've brought themselves in, they're ministering right aside, this, beside us, they're worshiping right beside us, they're teaching right beside us, they're here, they've crept in, it's just like these people. Also, relying on their dreams, defile the flesh, 
reject authority, and blaspheme the glorious ones. But when the archangel Michael, contending with the devil, was disputing about the body of Moses, he did not presume to pronounce a blasphemous judgment, but said, The Lord rebuke you. But these people... These people, these people who crept in among us, these people blaspheme all that they do not understand. And they are destroyed by all that they, like unreasoning animals, understand instinctively. Woe to them! For they walked in the way of Cain and abandoned themselves for the sake of gain to Balaam's era and perished in Korah's rebellion. This is God's Word. If, if I were to drop a title over this section, it would be something like Unmasking the Heretic or, um, or, or Face Lines of the False Teacher because that's what Jude just did in those verses that we read. Um, he is he is taken off the mask of those that have crept in secretly, hiding stealthily. Um, plants of the devil, tares sowed amongst the wheat. He's he's taking the mask off so that we can see the face lines, the characteristics that are indicators that certain people are not who they seem to be. They may present themselves as godly. They may present themselves as knowing the Scripture. They may present themselves as experts in doctrine. They may present themselves as spiritual know-it-alls. But they are not. They are heretics. They are false teachers. And Jude is beginning to unpack for us and reveal to us what they look like, how to spot them. And that is um, an awesome thing. I want you to be able to see these red flags that he's talking about. When everybody else is following head over heels in love with the false teachers, the heretics, I want you to be able to say, whoa, 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 whoa. No. So this is not right, or that is not right. I want you to be able to discern and the more you become a contender for the faith, as we looked at weeks ago, the more easily you will be able to see and pick up on these face lines in the, in, in, in the heretic, these face lines in the false teacher. You'll be able to, to see them. He's, he's beginning to... Um, he's, he's unmasking who they are. This heretic. Now, her, I know this... I, I use some words in talking about this that we don't use in everyday language. And it's not because I'm, I'm wanting to sound super intellectual or spiritual. It's just that's, that's who they are. They, they are heretics. And they are, they are heretics because they have swerved from or departed from an orthodox understanding of the Bible. The Bible being the faith once for all delivered to the saints. They've swerved from that. Now, I use that word orthodox a good bit. Orthodox, what does that mean? Ortho, it's really, it's, it's a compound word. Ortho means right. Doxa means opinion. So the word is right opinion. And so the heretic has swerved from a right opinion of the Scriptures. 
You understand? There is a right opinion of the Scriptures. Not just open to any kind of opinion. There's a right opinion. There's a wrong opinion. There's a right opinion about God. There's a wrong opinion about God. There's a right opinion about Christ. There's a wrong opinion about Christ. There's a right opinion about the Gospel. There's a wrong opinion about the Gospel. There is right and there's right. That's why, and I say it, and I'll say it over and over again, that there is a way of rightly dividing the Scripture. Okay, coming to orthodox conclusions. But see, the heretic swerves away from the orthodox understanding, and they become, this is where heresy comes, the word heresy comes from, this is where her, the word heretic comes from. They become heterodox. You say, what, what's that? Heterodoxy is simply the opposite of orthodoxy. It's wrong opinion. It's wrong opinion. They have embraced wrong opinions about Scripture. They're teaching things that are not in submission to the authority of God's Word. That's what they are doing. And wherever you find orthodoxy, there will be heterodoxy. Wherever you find someone that is a true teacher, you will find False teachers. That's, it's just the way it is. They all, it's always like that. Peter told us. Peter warned us. Peter, in 2 Peter chapter 2, verse number 1, he said, there will be, will be, now might, will be false teachers among you who secretly introduce damning or destructive heresies, end quote. And they are people that are the servants of Satan. They may not realize it. And they add to orthodox understanding of Scripture. Or they take away from orthodox understanding of Scripture. Or they just take it and they twist it into something that it's not supposed to be. And that's what they do. You have to be careful with this. Now... Before I begin to unpack um, the face lines of a false teacher, um, let me take you on a little bit of a journey through church history just a little bit to show you, I want you to see um, where there are places that heresy has crept in to the church. It had to be dealt with. It had to be dealt with. It it had to be um, dealt with by contending for the faith once for all delivered to the saints. If you go back to the first century, the first century, that's the time when the New Testament Scriptures were being um, formulated. It says the Holy Spirit was breathing that into being. um, And it's in the first century that the canon of Scripture um, was, uh, was really, the church had that. What was to be in the canon of Scripture it was given during the first century. Um, now, there were other books, other books, as I've told you, that are not to be included here. Um, and, of course, the sorting out and the, the, the accumulation and the compilation of those books le- took place in, in later on in later times. But nevertheless, during that time, during the first century, when Jude was being written... The predominant problem, and you know this because I've brought it up several times just simply because it is the historical context of Jude. Um, what they were dealing with and what Jude is dealing with, what 1st, 2nd, and 3rd John is, is, is dealing with, what 1st and 2nd Peter is dealing with, is that the heresy of, of Gnosticism. 
Um, the Gnostic, who is the one who follows this, this theology of Gnosticism, um, what that is, Gnostic, comes from the, the word gnosis, which means knowledge. They thought they had some secret knowledge. They had secret knowledge about spiritual realities, knowledge that you wouldn't find. The Gnostic would say, you wouldn't find in the written Word of God. You had to go elsewhere. You had to go deeper. That was available. Now, it wasn't coming from the divine. It was coming from the demonic. But they were getting this stuff. Then they had, they, they had these ideas that were wrong about who man is. They had these ideas that were wrong about who Christ is. They had these ideas that were wrong about what salvation is. And the church was dealing with it. I mean, this was a problem with, with people being duped by this. And the Gnostic would sell what they're doing as if they have the super spiritual insight that you're not going to find in the Word of God. And so that's what they were facing. And some of the documents that came out, there were books that came out of that. Books that people would argue, maybe it should be included in the canon of Scripture. No, it shouldn't be. But there were books that came out of some of their, their teaching, um, such as the, there was one called the Gospel of Truth. Well, no, it was really the Gospel of Lies. Um, there was the Treatise on the Three Natures. There was one called the Apocalypse of Adam. One called the Gospel of Matthew. One called the Gospel of Philip. One called the Acts of Peter. One called the Acts of Thomas. And all of those false books that um, were nothing but perversions of the truth. And that's what Jude's dealing with. That's why Jude is, this was a serious issue. That's why he's writing with such a, an urgency and intensity. But the urgency and intensity that he felt then for the early church is still alive today. Because the, 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 the number of false teachers has exponentially grown. The number of lies that come against the church from the world. Okay, from the philosophies of the world that masquerade as spirituality are so much greater. There's so much more. So there's so much more need to follow and obey the command of Jude to contend for the faith once for all handed and delivered to the saints. The, the, the health of the local church depends on it, as I've told you. It does. So that's what they dealt with in the first century. Well, if you, as you move on into the third century, early part of the third century, the church faced another heresy, which was just as much of a heated issue. There was infighting, debate over this. That heresy was known as Arianism. Um, it's called Arianism because it originated... Originate what well, didn't necessarily originate, but where it really came into being, it it, it was through uh, a guy by the name of Arius. Arius was a North African priest, and what Arius began to teach was that Christ was not fully God. Christ was not God with a capital G. Christ was a lesser God with a little G. And oh my. The problems that this caused. Um, but what Satan intended for harm, God intended for good. What it did is it forced the church at that time to have to formulate in written form orthodox 
doctrine, orthodox Christology or understanding of Christ, orthodox understanding about basic Christian doctrines. Um, and of course, that, that, that's referring to the Council of Nicaea and the, the, of 325 A.D. and the, the, the Nicene Creed that came out of that. Um, one of the things that, that uh, for example, reading from uh, the Nicene Creed, let me show you how they solidified their understanding of Christ to combat what um, Arius was saying. This is orthodoxy. This is an orthodox understanding of what the Scriptures are really, truly teaching. But just to read the first two paragraphs of the, the Nicene Creed, um, written by early church fathers. It says, I believe, and you know this, I believe in one God, the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, and of, of all things visible and invisible. And here comes the Christology. And in one Lord Jesus Christ, the only begotten Son of God, begotten of the Father before all worlds. Here it is. He's God of God, light of light, very God, a very God, begotten, not made, bearing one substance with the Father by whom all things were made. Well, <laughs> despite the church's denunciation, of what Arius taught, that same old lie has crept in to the church periodically in a lot of different forms. Now, I, I, one of the, the most obvious forms of this is with the Jehovah's Witnesses. It's with the teachings of Charles Taze Russell, the founder of the Jehovah's Witnesses, um, it's it, it, and, and the teachings of the Watchtower Society teaching that Jesus is not God, but a God. They have, in, in, in the New World Translation of the Scriptures that they have produced, which by the way, even um, non-Christian Greek scholars will tell you is the worst Worst Greek translation of the Cohen Greek New Testament scriptures. It's completely unreliable. Um, but they'll tell you. But anyway, um, for example, in John, John chapter one, they will say, "In the beginning," where it says, "In the beginning was the Word. The Word was with God. And the Word was God." They would say, "In the beginning was was the Word, and the Word was with God." They would say, "The Word was a God." With a little g. That's, that's wrong. That's not what the text says. That's not what the original says. But there's an example of where that lie still creeps up. Then you, you move, that's early 3rd century, you move to late 3rd century. Wherever you have one form of error, usually you'll end up having the opposite error come out. And it's usually because people become so forceful in fighting the first era, what happens if, you, if you're not careful, if you don't keep yourself confined to the Scriptures, you'll fall off the canon of Scripture and to the era of the opposite end. You see, during the late 3rd century, it wasn't Arius, Arianism that was the great problem. It was, what, it was a heresy known as Apollinarianism. You say, what in the world is that? Well, there was a guy by the name of Apollinarius the younger. And he was a scripture reader 
in um, a, a church you are should be familiar with, the Church of Laodicea. Uh, we Church of Laodicea has a reference in, in the Book of Revelation. Well, he was a scripture reader in that church. Well, I, I imagine that his heart wanted to protect the deity of Christ. It wanted to protect the fact that Christ is God. But Satan came along and I believe played off of his heart and, and it forced him into an area, led him, I'm not going to say for, it led him into an area where he began to teach the opposite era about Christ. He would say, Christ is God. Fully God, very God, which is very true, by the way. That's me telling That's very true. But he would go beyond that. He would say, because Christ is very God, a very God, that in the incarnation, Christ did not become fully human. Well, that's wrong. That's error. That is, that he, Christ did become fully human. You see... He began to teach something that underscores the gospel. He began to teach something that robs us of the hope of the gospel. And that is the fact that if Christ was not fully human, then you and I have no substitutionary atoning sacrifice for our sins because we had to have a perfect man Sinless man bearing the wrath of God, substitutionary in our place. And if Christ was not fully man, we don't have a substitutionary atoning sacrifice. And of course, the other, other heresy of, of Arianism, it also destroys the gospel because it's, I like how the book of, in the book of Titus, he calls him God our Savior. If our Savior is not God, we have no hope in the gospel. And if our God did not become a man, we have no hope in the gospel. But those were heresies that were circulating around in the early church. Let's fast forward to the 21st century. <laughs> Give me a hat. Let me just start pulling them out. <laughs> you know, there are a lot. Let me just mention one. Um, perhaps you've heard of the Bishop Carlton Pearson. Um, Pearson was the, he, he, the charismatic leader of an evangelical church that in the 90s was known as Higher Dimensions. Um, matter of fact, in my early days, in the early 90s, as a, as a young um, infant in Christ, I would listen to him preach and teach, and he had an excellent delivery. And, and, and he was a good teacher um, in the early days, but somewhere something happened tragic in Bishop Carlton Pearson's life. Some, for some reason, he could not reconcile in his mind the unconditional love of God with the unrestrained wrath of God. They seemed absolutely opposed. If God's unconditionally loving, how could He be so wrathful with an unrestrained wrath on sinners? And he could not see that. Now, when you go to the cross, the unconditional love of God and the unrestrained wrath of God are reconciled. But I, I digress from that issue. But he began to teach his people 
And he had a large platform broadcast all over the world. Began to teach that hell, hell is not true. That hell is not a Christian doctrine. And you say, how could he do that? Well, he began to, he began to teach that, that we misunderstood what the idea and concept of hell and Gehenna, one of the words used for hell, what, what, that, what that truly meant, what that was about. Um, Pearson, as a matter of fact, he preached a sermon once, and I listened to it, only intentionally listened to it so that I could understand where he was coming from. Because a lot of times I listen, I listen to a lot of people, guys, I listen, and I read a lot of different things that I know I don't agree with, okay? That I know I'm I, I, not even going to begin to even entertain that they're, they're right. They're clearly off the mark, okay? Clearly. Anybody with, an, with, 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 with a minute mustard seed of discernment would know that they're off the mark. But I do that so that I can have understanding into where they're coming from. That way, when you guys are confronted with it, I can address the components of their issue and their teaching and, and, and reason with you from the Scriptures why they are in error. But he preached a sermon, and, and the title of the sermon says it all, okay? The title of the sermon was, Get the Hell Out of My Bible. <laughs> When you remove that, when you move the seriousness of hell from the Scriptures, you have just, just totally taken away from the unconditional redeeming love of God. And you have robbed God of His ultimate glory. But heresy is, is real. It's, it's alive. It's, it's a problem. Now, Getting to the, to the Scriptures. This morning, I, I want to begin to unpack verses 8 and, through 11. Um, now, realistically, there are six characteristics of the false teacher. Six, what I would call, face lines to look for uh, in the false teacher here. Now, I'm not going to touch on all six of those tonight. I'm only going to deal with two of those. Uh, I keep saying tonight. It is tonight. You're watching it in the morning, whenever you're watching it. Okay, um, we'll, I'm only going to deal with two of those, and we'll hopefully, Lord willing, we'll pick up with those other four next week. But I, pastorally, I want you, I, I want you to see these face lines. I want you to see these red flags, these things that ought to be unsettling when you notice them in people. I want you to see these. I want you to be aware of these. I want you to see it so that when the masses are following, falling head over heels in love with some silver-tongued teaching of some false teacher, you'll be able to say, Oh no, I'm not going down that path with them. They're robbing God of His glory. They're perverting the truth. They're harming and upsetting the faith of the true church. And pulling masses of people straight, straight down the damning path that they are going. Wow. Well, um, you say, well, I wouldn't believe some false teaching. Why are, you going, why are you so serious about this, Pastor Scott? Why? Look, 
There are deceptions and delusions that are going to come upon this world that are powerful, and I want you to be ready for them. Matter of fact, some of them are so powerful that Jesus says in Matthew chapter 24 that it would deceive even the elect if it were possible. Now, it's not possible to deceive the elect. Ultimately, it's not possible. Do you hear me? <laughs> it's not possible to deceive the true church. But those that are lost in the church, swept away under the false teaching. And those that are saved can be harmed by it because it can cause great struggle in them, though ultimately they will not submit to it and they will renounce it. But nevertheless, looking at this passage, verses 8 through 11, there is one phrase in that whole section which really is the central theme. It is, it is the core, the core um, central reality that causes all of these other characteristics to be. All these other that we're going to look at, the two that we're going to look at and the, and the four next week, are, are connected to this central issue that is mentioned here. And, and that is the fact that they reject authority. You see that phrase? That phrase right there is the central core. They reject authority. They reject divine authority. In the context of, of this, they are rejecting what? They're rejecting biblical authority. They're, they're rejecting the faith once for all handed over to the saints. They are rejecting orthodoxy. They are embracing heterodoxy. But they are rejecting the authority of God's Word. They do not submit to the orthodox understanding of Scripture. They do not. They refuse to do it. They may act like they are. They may give an appearance as if they are. But they are not submitting to the text. They're not submitting to the faith once for all. Handed over and delivered to the saints. And this is serious stuff. Um, they go beyond the 66 books of the canon. They go beyond it. Um, it, and, and, and so a heretic is born when, when some well-meaning or not so well-meaning individual reinterprets or reinvents Scripture, adding, taking away, stepping outside the boundaries of orthodoxy and bypassing the faith once for all delivered to the saints. And so they begin to preach some new truth, which is only an old lie. And so you've got to be careful. You've got to watch out. You've got to be careful. Um, so again, in verses 8 through 11, there are six phrases which surround the central theme of rejecting divine authority. Um, six expressions of how they reject that authority. How you can know they're rejecting that authority. Um, these face lines, again, just two of them tonight or today. Or whenever. Um, the first one is this in verse 8. They reject authority by this. They rely on dreams. Isn't that what the text says? Um, Yet in like manner these people also relying on their dreams defile the flesh, reject authority. They rely on dreams and visions. Now, let me be very clear. Okay. I am not saying that God does not ever speak in dreams and visions. Okay. 
I'm fixing to make some of my Reformed friends uneasy. My Reformed brothers and sisters, I fall under that same camp. But they, I am not a cessationist in the sense of the gifts of God's Holy Spirit. And I believe that God does, just as He has in times past, speak in dreams and visions to His people. But those dreams and visions have to be in submission to God's Word. Okay? Um, I'm going to keep my mouth closed right now. But I know that God speaks in dreams and visions and can prophetically speak in dreams and visions because I have experienced those. But here's the thing. You don't rely on a dream and a vision. You don't, whatever you dream and you have a vision about, you don't rely on that. Whatever it is, you have to bring it in submission to God's Word. You've got to be able to say and reject your dream. Reject your spirit. Listen, you can have the greatest spiritual experience in the world and you've got to be willing to reject that spiritual experience if it does not submit to the authority of the Word of God. I don't care how real it seemed. It could have been very real. Demonically real. So you've got to be careful. Very careful. And I'm warning you, you got to be very careful, okay? See, the heretic will go beyond the Word of God. The heretic will dream up novel, new doctrines and new thoughts which run contrary to the orthodox biblical revelation. Let me give you an example. Joseph Smith, okay? The whole movement of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints was birthed out of a dream and a vision that Smith had. In Smith's testimony, you can, it, one of the writings in, in, the, in, the, in the Mormon church is the Pearl of Great Price. You can go and he details and talks about his dream and his vision that he had. But because Smith followed his dreams and his visions and not the pure Word of God... He created a false religion. He created a religion that teaches, and I guarantee you, most average Joe Mormons do not know ultimately what the church teaches. Okay? But it's in their writings. I mean, if they'll just get, leave the Book of Mormon and go to some of their other writings, Doctrine and Covenants, and go to some of their writings, look and see. It's in black and white. Okay? I, I know I've studied it. For 25 years, okay, ultimately they teach that you can become a god. <laughs> and what they say about our god, there's a phrase, there's a statement that is known. Um, they say, as man is now, God once was, and as God is, man shall be. No, he's not. That's a lie. You know what that is? It's the same old lie that the serpent sold Eve in the garden. When he said, you know, if you eat of this fruit, God knows that you shall be like Him. And that's a lie. That is a lie. And that lie emerges in the evangelical church in some other ways. Won't go there tonight. 
And they are those that twist Scriptures in John, in the Psalms, that I'll deal with some other time, trying to teach the deity of humanity. And that is heresy. And I, don't, I, I don't care whose boat I just rocked. I'm just telling you. That is the truth of the Scriptures. Now, please, I, I get very passionate about certain things, and sometimes people don't know how to take that, okay? But I want you to hear my heart. Okay, hear my heart, please. Hear my heart. Um, do not believe something about God or about salvation or His church simply just because somebody says God told them in a dream or a vision. Or you think you've had it in a dream or a vision. But you test your vision and your dream. I don't care. Listen, I don't care if some false teacher comes along. I don't care if they tell you about some fantastic vision or dream or some trip to heaven that they had and tell you Jesus came down and told them himself these new principles that you're not going to find in the scriptures, that you're not going to find in the canon of scripture. I don't care if they are able to perform signs and wonders and miracles. I believe in signs and wonders and miracles. I believe in the power of the Holy Spirit to do those things. I believe in those things. But I also know Satan works wonders too. You remember when um, Moses was before Pharaoh and he threw down his staff? And it turned into a... To a, to a well, Actually, before Moses did it, I'm getting a little ahead of myself. There were three Egyptian magicians, and, and they threw down their staffs. And what did it do? It turned into serpents. Then Moses threw down his staff. Of course, it turned into serpents. It swallowed those up. But my point is, Satan does signs and wonders and miracles too. Satan does these things to draw you away. God, when He performs the sign and wonder and a miracle, it is always to point to the gospel and has evangelistic purposes in it. You could go to the book of Acts and talk about that. We don't have time for that tonight. But the bottom line is, we must bring all of our thoughts, all of our dreams, all of our visions, all of our spiritual notions under the authority of God's written Word. Because if we don't, we'll end up a heretic like Arius, Apollinarius, Pearson, or Smith. And you don't want that. Second face line. Not only do they rely on dreams, but they, what does the text say? They defile the flesh. Now, heretics, false teachers, are often driven to live for the satisfaction of their flesh. For the satisfaction of their flesh. Now, they may not all do this. All of these characteristics, by the way, may not be in every single false teacher, but some of them might be. And this one's not true of all of them, but for many of them it is. Because um, you've got to understand, when you're willing to reject the authority of God's Word, then you feel free to move beyond the constraints of, of its law 
and it, it, as far as the way it should affect your practice, and you, you that's that goes back up to how they're what what are they what did, what did you say? You said they changed the grace of God into a license for their sin, it, it, and so which is what the Gnostics were doing. But see, they weren't confined to the Scriptures, so they would do that. They would live for the fulfillment of their their flesh. Well, that's how you do... They they live for the defilements of their flesh. Um, You can read about... Read in 2 Peter chapter 2 the description that Peter gives of of false teachers. Um, Do that sometime on your own, and you'll see some examples of this flesh defilement. Um, that they that they pursue because see all of a sudden when you when you don't when you're not submitting to the word of God telling a little white lie nothing wrong with that okay being selfish nothing wrong with that you know and so and the list could go on and on and on and on and on now again there are heretics who reject the divine authority that aren't like that and I'll even tell you that Satan himself. Demons themselves will come along and empower false teachers, some of them to, to not live like that, to live morally upstanding lives. I want you to think about, again, I, and I'm not picking on the Mormon church, but I want you to think about that. Okay? Think about the guy that's riding the bicycle coming up to your door. They, they live and strive to be good moral people. Think of their commercials. They, are, they have awesome pro-family principles. But those pro-family principles and that morality is not for the glory of the Christ of Scriptures. It is for a false Jesus and it is for a false gospel which is empowered by Satan himself. And they only live like that to only have a greater impact of their deception now, they don't know they're living like that for them, but I'm saying that's why Satan empowers such. So you don't always see that with some people. Well, next time we're together, uh, we'll look at it for more of these face lines of the heretic. But let me just say to you, guys, heresy's a problem. Okay? It, it's such a great problem today, I believe, because we live in a biblically illiterate culture. We live in a church environment that is biblically illiterate. People don't really spend time in their Bibles anymore. They don't know what it teaches. They know what the pastor says, but the problem is in so many churches today, the pastor doesn't expose the Word of God. They don't don't linger in a text. They don't deal with what's written. They deal with what's entertaining. They deal with what's uh, trite and shallow. And, and they don't dig deep in the Scriptures. They, they don't really... Uh, they, they teach some um, man-centered version of the Gospel. They, they, and, and, you, and guys, it, it compounds the issue. But I'm telling you, I'm encouraging you, don't follow the flow of the masses, but... Become a contender for this book. The 66 books. The faith once for all delivered for the saint. Become a lover of it. Become a learner of it. Become a liver of it. And then I would also say, again, I never know who hears what I'm saying. But I know that not everyone who hears what I'm saying knows 
Jesus Christ. I don't know where you are. I don't know what weight you're carrying. I don't know what burden. I don't know what sin that you bear. But I know a Christ who, if you call upon, if you repent and you turn to and you trust in, that He has bore your sin. And He will forgive you. And He will deliver you from your past. I just spent this last week with a man that's, you know, he may have weeks, he may have months left. And he, was, he served in Vietnam and he, he, he just, there were some horrific things that had occurred. Things that he can't get past. He just can't get past them. And so I shared the gospel with him. He needed to be, know that, that he could be freed from that. But the gospel, the message of the gospel, the fact that Christ can wipe your sins away and make you white as snow, no matter what they are. He found hope in that. I pray you, no matter what your sin is, you'll find hope in that. Grace to you. And God bless you. Did you stop it? And he was a scripture reader in um, a, a church you are should be familiar with, the church of Laodicea. Uh, we, the church of Laodicea has a reference in, in the book of Revelation. Well, he was a scripture reader in that church. Well, I, I imagine that his heart wanted to protect the deity of Christ. It wanted to protect the fact that Christ is God. But Satan came along and I believe played off of his heart. And, and it forced him into an area, led him, I'm not going to say for it led him into an area where he began to teach the opposite era about Christ. He would say, Christ is God. Fully God, very God, which is very true, by the way. That's me too. That's very true. But he would go beyond that. He would say, because Christ is very God, a very God, that in the incarnation, Christ did not become fully human. Well, that's wrong. That's error. That is that he Christ did become fully human. You see. He began to teach something that underscores the gospel. It, he began to teach something that robs us of the hope of the gospel. And that is the fact that if Christ was not fully human, then you and I have no substitutionary atoning sacrifice for our sins because we had to have a perfect man Sinless man bearing the wrath of God, substitutionary in our place. And if Christ was not fully man, we don't have a substitutionary atoning sacrifice. And of course, the other, other heresy of, of Arianism, it also destroys the gospel because it's, I like how the book of, in the book of Titus, he calls him God our Savior. If our Savior is not God, we have no hope in the gospel. And if our God did not become a man, we have no hope in the gospel. But those were heresies that were circulating around in the early church. Let's fast forward to the 21st century. Give me a hat. Let me just start pulling them out. <laughs> you know, there are a lot. Let me just mention one. Um, 
Perhaps you've heard of the Bishop Carlton Pearson. Um, Pearson was the, the charismatic leader of an evangelical church that in the 90s was known as Higher Dimensions. Um, matter of fact, in my early days, in the early 90s, as, as a young um, infant in Christ, I would listen to him preach and teach, and he had an excellent delivery, and, and, and he was a good teacher um, in the early days. But somewhere, something happened tragic in Bishop Carlton Pearson's life. Some, for some reason, he could not reconcile in his mind the unconditional love of God with the unrestrained wrath of God. They seemed absolutely opposed. If God's unconditionally loving, how could He be so wrathful with an unrestrained wrath on sinners? And he could not see that. Now, when you go to the cross... The unconditional love of God and the unrestrained wrath of God are reconciled. But I I digress from that issue. But he began to teach his people. And he had a large platform broadcast all over the world. Began to teach that hell, hell is not true. That hell is not a Christian doctrine. And you say, how could he do that? Well, he began to, he began to teach that, that we misunderstood what the idea and concept of hell and Gehenna, one of the words used for hell, what, what, that, what that truly meant, what that was about. Um, Pearson, as a matter of fact, he preached a sermon once, and I listened to it only intentionally listen to it so that I could understand where he was coming from. Because a lot of times I listen, I listen to a lot of people, guys. I listen and I read a lot of different things that I know I don't agree with. Okay, that I know I'm not even going to begin to even entertain that they're they're right. They're clearly off the mark. Okay, clearly anybody with an with 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 a minute mustard seed of discernment would know that they're off the mark. But I do that so that I can have understanding into where they're coming from. That way, when you guys are confronted with it, I can address the components of their issue and their teaching and, and, and reason with you from the Scriptures why they are in error. But he preached a sermon, and, and the title of the sermon says it all, okay? The title of the sermon was, Get the Hell Out of My Bible. <laughs> When you remove that, when you move the seriousness of hell from the Scriptures, you have just, just totally taken away from the unconditional redeeming love of God. And you have robbed God of His ultimate glory. But heresy is, is real. It's, it's alive. It's, it's a problem. Now, Getting to the, to the Scriptures. This morning, I, I want to begin to unpack verses 8 and, through 11. Um, now, realistically, there are six characteristics of the false teacher. Six, what I would call face lines to look for uh, in the false teacher here. Now, I'm not going to touch on all six of those tonight. I'm only going to deal with two of those. 
Uh, I keep saying tonight. It is tonight. You're watching it in the morning. Whenever you're watching it. Okay. Um, we'll, I'm only going to deal with two of those. And we'll hopefully, Lord willing, we'll pick up with those other four next week. But I, pastorally, I want you, I want you to see these face lines. I want you to see these red flags. These things that ought to be unsettling when you notice them in people. I want you to see these. I want you to be aware of these. I want you to see it so that when the masses are following, falling head over heels in love with some silver-tongued teaching of some false teacher, you'll be able to say, oh no, I'm not going down that path with them. They're robbing God of His glory. They're perverting the truth. They're harming and upsetting the faith of the true church. And pulling masses of people straight, straight down the damning path that they are going. Wow. Well, um, you say, well, I wouldn't believe some false teaching. Why are, you going, why are you so serious about this, Pastor Scott? Why? Look. There are deceptions and delusions that are going to come upon this world that are powerful, and I want you to be ready for them. Matter of fact, some of them are so powerful that Jesus says in Matthew chapter 24 that it would deceive even the elect if it were possible. Now, it's not possible to deceive the elect. Ultimately, it's not possible. Do you hear me? It's not possible to deceive the true church. But those that are lost in the church, swept away under the false teaching. And those that are saved can be harmed by it because it can cause great struggle in them, though ultimately they will not submit to it and they will renounce it. But nevertheless, looking at this passage, verses 8 through 11, there is one phrase in that whole section which really is the central theme it is, it is the core, the core um, central reality that causes all of these other characteristics to be. All these other that we're going to look at, the two that we're going to look at in the, in the four next week, are, are connected to this central issue that is mentioned here. And, and that is the fact that they reject authority. You see that phrase? That phrase right there is the central core. They reject authority. They reject divine authority. In the context of, of this, they are rejecting what? They're rejecting biblical authority. They're, they're rejecting the faith once for all handed over to the state. They are rejecting orthodoxy. They are embracing heterodoxy. But they are rejecting the authority of God's Word. They do not submit to the orthodox understanding of Scripture. They do not. They refuse to do it. They may act like they are. They may give an appearance as if they are. But they are not submitting to the text. They're not submitting to the faith once for all. Handed over and delivered to the saints. And this is serious stuff. Um, they go beyond the 66 books of the canon. They go beyond it. Um, it, and, and, and so a heretic is born when, when some well-meaning or not so well-meaning individual reinterprets or reinvents Scripture, adding, taking away, stepping outside the boundaries of orthodoxy and bypassing the faith once for all delivered to 
the saints. And so they began to preach some new truth, which is only an old lie. And so you've got to be careful. You've got to watch out. You've got to be careful. Um, so again, in verses 8 through 11, there are six phrases which surround the central theme of rejecting divine authority. Um, six expressions of how they reject that authority, how you can know they're rejecting that authority. Um, these face lines, again, just two of them tonight or today or whenever. Um, the first one is this in verse 8. They reject authority by this. They rely on dreams. Isn't that what the text says? Um, Yet in like manner these people also relying on their dreams, defile the flesh, reject authority. They rely on dreams and visions. Now, let me be very clear. Okay. I am not saying that God does not ever speak in dreams and visions. Okay. I'm fisting to make some of my Reformed friends uneasy. My Reformed brothers and sisters, I fall under that same camp. But I am not a cessationist in the sense of the gifts of God's Holy Spirit. And I believe that God does, just as He has in times past, speak in dreams and visions to His people. But those dreams and visions have to be in submission to God's Word. Okay? Um, I'm going to keep my mouth closed right now. But I know that God speaks in dreams and visions and can prophetically speak in dreams and visions because I have experienced those. But here's the thing. You don't rely on a dream and a vision. You don't, whatever you dream and you have a vision about, you don't rely on that. Whatever it is, you have to bring it in submission to God's Word. You've got to be able to say and reject your dream. Reject your spirit. Listen, you can have the greatest spiritual experience in the world and you've got to be willing to reject that spiritual experience if it does not submit to the authority of the Word of God. I don't care how real it seemed. It could have been very real. Demonically real. So you've got to be careful. Very careful. And I'm warning you, P, you've got to be very careful. Okay? See, the heretic will go beyond the Word of God. The heretic will dream up novel, new doctrines and new thoughts which run contrary to the orthodox biblical revelation. Let me give you an example. Joseph Smith... Okay, the whole movement of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints was birthed out of a dream and a vision that Smith had. In Smith's testimony, you can one of the writings in the in the in the Mormon Church is the Pearl of Great Price. You can go and he details and talks about his dream and his vision that he had. But because Smith followed his dreams and his visions and not the pure Word of God, he created a false religion. He created a religion that teaches, and I guarantee you, most average Joe Mormons do not know 
ultimately what the church teaches. Okay? But it's in their writings. I mean, if they'll just... Get, leave the Book of Mormon and go to some of their other writings, Doctrine and Covenants, and go to some of their Look and see. It's in black and white. Okay? I, I know I've studied it for 25 years. Okay? Ultimately, they teach that you can become a God. <laughs> and what they say about our God, there's a phrase, there's a statement that is known. Um, they say, as man is now, God once was, and as God is, man shall be. <laughs> no, he's not. That's a lie. You know what that is? It's the same old lie that the serpent sold Eve in the garden. When he said, you know, if you eat of this fruit, God knows that you shall be like him. And that's a lie. That is a lie. And that lie emerges in the evangelical church in some other ways. Won't go there tonight. And there are those that twist scriptures in John, in the Psalms, that I'll deal with some other time, trying to teach the deity of humanity. And that is heresy. I don't... I don't care whose boat I just rocked. I'm just telling you. That is the truth of the Scriptures. Now, please, I, I get very passionate about certain things. And sometimes people don't know how to take that, okay? But I want you to hear my heart. Okay, hear my heart, please. Hear my heart. Um... Do not believe something about God or about salvation or His church simply just because somebody says God told them in a dream or a vision. Or you think you've had it in a dream or a vision. But you test your vision and your dream. I don't care. Listen, I don't care if some false teacher comes along. I don't care if they tell you about some fantastic vision or dream or some trip to heaven that they had and tell you Jesus came down and told them himself these new principles that you're not going to find in the scriptures, that you're not going to find in the canon of scripture. I don't care if they are able to perform signs and wonders and miracles. I believe in signs and wonders and miracles. I believe in the power of the Holy Spirit to do those things. I believe in those things. But I also know Satan works wonders too. You remember when um, Moses was before Pharaoh and he threw down his staff? And it turned into a... To a, to a well. Actually, before Moses did it, I'm getting a little ahead of myself. There were three Egyptian magicians, and, and they threw down their staffs. And what did it do? It turned into serpents. Then Moses threw down his staff. Of course, it turned into serpents. It swallowed those up. But my point is, Satan does signs and wonders and miracles too. Satan does these things to draw you away. God, when he performs the sign and wonder and a miracle, it is always to point to the gospel and has evangelistic purposes in it. You could go to the book of Acts and talk about that. We don't have time for that tonight. But the bottom line is, 
We must bring all of our thoughts, all of our dreams, all of our visions, all of our spiritual notions under the authority of God's written Word. Because if we don't, we'll end up a heretic like Arius, Apollinarius, Pearson, or Smith. And you don't want that. Second face line. Not only do they rely on dreams, but they, what does the text say? They defile the flesh. Now, heretics, false teachers, are often driven to live for the satisfaction of their flesh. For the satisfaction of their flesh. Now, they may not all do this. All of these characteristics, by the way, may not be in every single false teacher, but some of them might be. And this one's not true of all of them, but for many of them it is. Um, Because you've got to understand, when you're willing to reject the authority of God's Word, then you feel free to move beyond the constraints of of its law and and as far as the way it should affect your practice. And that goes back up to how they're... What did did you say? You said they changed the grace of God into a license for their sin. So which is what the Gnostics were doing. But see, they weren't confined to the Scriptures, so they would do that. They would live for the fulfillment of their, their flesh. Well, they, that's how you do... They, they live for the defilements of their flesh. Um, you can read about... Read in Second Peter chapter 2 the description that Peter gives of, of false teachers. Um, do that sometime on your own, and you, you'll see some examples of this flesh defilement um, that they that they pursue because see all of a sudden when you when you don't when you're not submitting to the word of God telling a little white lie nothing wrong with that okay being selfish nothing wrong with that you know and, and so and the list could go on and on and on and on and on now again there are heretics who reject the divine authority that aren't like that and I'll even tell you that Satan himself. Demons themselves will come along and empower false teachers, some of them to to not live like that, to live morally upstanding lives. I want you to think about, again, and I'm not picking on the Mormon church, but I want you to think about them. Think about the guy that's riding the bicycle coming up to your door. They, They live and strive to be good moral people. Think of their commercials. They, are, they have awesome pro-family principles. But those pro-family principles and that morality is not for the glory of the Christ of Scriptures. It is for a false Jesus and it is for a false gospel which is empowered by Satan himself. And they only live like that to only have a greater impact of their deception. Now, they don't know they're living like that for them, but I'm saying that's why Satan empowers such. So you don't always see that with some people. Well, next time we're together, uh, we'll look at four more of these face lines of the heretic. But let me just say to you, guys, heresy's a problem. Okay? It, it's such a great problem today, I believe, because we live in a biblically illiterate culture. We live in a church environment that is biblically illiterate. People don't 
really spend time in their Bibles anymore. They don't know what it teaches. They know what the pastor says, but the problem is, in so many churches today, the pastor doesn't expose the Word of God. They don't don't linger in a text. They don't deal with what's written. They deal with what's entertaining. They deal with what's uh, trite and shallow. and, and They don't dig deep in the Scriptures. They, they don't really... Uh, they, they teach some um, man-centered version of the Gospel. They, they, and, and, you, and guys, it, it compounds the issue. But I'm telling you, I'm encouraging you, don't follow the flow of the masses, but... Become a contender for this book. The 66 books. The faith once for all delivered for the saint. Become a lover of it. Become a learner of it. Become a liver of it. And then I would also say, again, I never know who hears what I'm saying. But I know that not everyone who hears what I'm saying knows Jesus Christ. I don't know where you are. I don't know what weight you're carrying. I don't know what burden. I don't know what sin that you bear. But I know a Christ who if you call upon, if you repent and you turn to and you trust in, that He has bore your sin. And He will forgive you. And He will deliver you from your past. I just spent this last week with a man that's, you know, he may have weeks, he may have months left. And he, was, he served in Vietnam and he, he, he just, there were some horrific things that had occurred. Things that he can't get past. He just can't get past them. And so I shared the gospel with him. He needed to be, know that, that he could be freed from that. That the gospel, the message of the gospel, the fact that Christ can wipe your sins away and make you white as snow, no matter what they are. He found hope in that. I pray you, no matter what your sin is, you'll find hope in that. Grace to you. And God bless you. Did you stop it?